the concept that you your money is not at the helm of anyone but you. And really one step further, you are in control of the wealth that you create and hold. It's something that is foreign to the majority of the world. And we have now a protocol with sound financial uh, means and, and sound, um, sound money principles that exists in Bitcoin. And obviously it's the only way to be financially sovereign is to be in full control of the money that you have. Welcome to the first episode of The Block Reward. My name is Scott Deedles. I'm the host. I'm also the CEO and founder of Block Rewards, which is a Canadian company dedicated to helping Canadian employers integrate Bitcoin into compensation and benefits. The idea with The Block Reward podcast is to have Bitcoin conversations for non-Bitcoin audience. I, as a student of Bitcoin, I'm listening to Bitcoin podcasts all the time, and there are so many great podcasts in the space. And the challenge I have is finding ones that I can forward to friends and family and coworkers who don't know a lot about Bitcoin, where they can listen to it, stay engaged and capture the important points without having to be uh, fully immersed in the topic. So that's what we're trying to do here. My first guest is Adam O'Brien, and I'm really excited about having Adam on and particularly as uh, him being our first guest. Adam's uh, somebody who's been an important person in my Bitcoin journey. Adam started a company called Bitcoin Well in Edmonton, Alberta in 2013. So he has been in the Bitcoin space for over a decade. Bitcoin Well is the world's first publicly traded ATM company, Bitcoin ATM company. So they do a lot more than just ATMs today. They have uh, a suite of services around buying and selling and spending Bitcoin in the real world. Adam himself is a champion for figuring out how to use Bitcoin in, in daily life and uh, has, a, has a long history of uh, being an educator and Bitcoin advocate himself. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you are interested or you're looking for the Bitcoin podcast that you can send to your friends who don't know anything about Bitcoin, I, I hope that's us. Uh, like, subscribe. Send us feedback. I'm new at this and I have just a mission to uh, create great conversations that people can understand. So thanks for tuning in. I hope to see you again. All right. This is episode one of the Block Reward podcast uh, and we have Adam O'Brien. Dude, the Genesis episode. I'm, uh, I'm honored. I am so pumped to have you on here and uh, really excited to get to talk to you today. Um, so Welcome. Adam, I, I wanted to start off the conversation today talking a little bit about your own journey in terms of how you found Bitcoin in the first place. And you are a unique person in the sense of uh, you were a very early adopter. Yeah, kind of felt like my Bitcoin story is not unlike others that got into the space in that kind of 2013 era. Um, I myself am not very technical, so I'm not um, like I didn't grow up programming or anything like that. So kind of fell into this weird niche of reading, but I've always been very technically savvy on kind of the front end. So I was always the um, like pretty comfortable with computers, always knew right away how technology, you know, generally should work, but but how it how it does work. And then found Bitcoin. Um, I, I don't remember exactly specifically where, but it had just kind of reached $100. And I thought, wow, look at this fake internet money. Uh, worth a hundred bucks like what a joke let me look at this a bit more and you know be the hero on on reddit or be the hero on um you know in my friend group that kind of debunked this thing 
none of my friends, none of my circle had really heard about Bitcoin at that time. So it was really starting from from scratch. There was no one that I knew to talk to that was like, hey, what's this Bitcoin thing? Have you heard of this? Why is it 100 bucks? Why was it 30 a few months ago? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just dove into Bitcoin. And I mean, like, you know, as someone who is actively orange pilled, someone who is actively in the Bitcoin space, when you hear about and then start learning about Bitcoin, it's not really Bitcoin. You're learning about like economics. You're learning about the history of money beyond our current monetary policy. And then on the technology side, you're learning about encryption. You're learning about all these different, uh, um, you know, worldly things that exist that Bitcoin, the Bitcoin protocol kind of just puts together. That's one thing that I found so fascinating. Um, like recently, I just went and watched Oppenheimer and I found it so fascinating that they invented nothing. They just simply took things that already existed and put them together to create, you know, boom. And Bitcoin is kind of the same way. Like it really, like it dates back to World War II. It dates back to early World War II encryption models. And, you know, Bitcoin as a result is like almost a hundred years in the making. Like it's, it's really quite poetic when you think about it. So anyways, all that to say 2013, I'm like, what am I, 20? Yeah, almost 20 years old. Um, hear about Bitcoin and then just dive straight in. And for six months, like you can ask my, my now wife, my girlfriend at the time, I'm a complete bear. I'm not doing anything else. Like I'm just reading and uncovering things and then diving over. And, um, you know, at that time, the IRC chats were big. So I was just like engulfed in these IRC chats um, and, and really learning a ton as much as I possibly could. You know, now, like you go to YouTube, you catch, you know, any number like this podcast, for example, any other number of content creators, everyone's got an opinion and they've kind of done that work for you. But I was really just like thrust into doing the work kind of myself, I guess, and um, eventually like set up a Bitcoin node, which was really the only way to get a Bitcoin wallet at the time um, and and bought my first Bitcoin um, at that time. And I had a horrible experience buying my first Bitcoin. It was like, there were no companies. Um, we we did actually have a company in Canada called CA Vertex. Verification took months, like four or five months. I'm a, you know, I, I like to get things done faster. So um, I opted, there was like, like two options. It was like, you know, send money to sketchy exchange or like back alley. <laughs> and so kind of opted for the back alley experience um some time had passed and there was some really glitchy it was called blockchain the like the blockchain wallet that we know today existed back then and it was uh only available on ios it was super buggy super sketchy so i downloaded that the guy jumped into my car at like this stabby part of white avenue like where you know you have no business doing deals unless they're for illicit drugs and he like scanned my QR code. I gave him a hundred bucks and he left. And I was like, oh man, what a scam. Like, you know, all the research, none of that mattered. It was like huge scam. Like this sucked. And uh, went home, kind of saw a confirmation on the buggy iOS app. And I was like, okay, well, confirmations are good. Um, this is positive. And then went to go sell said Bitcoin. Um, ended up selling 0.9 of the Bitcoin for a hundred bucks, basically had 0.1 uh, Bitcoin. And I was like, 
okay, this is cool. You can buy it. You can sell it peer to peer. Like I needed blockchain in the middle, but I knew that like, you know, I did some internal transactions with my own wallets and kind of knew that that was the start. That was how everything started. And then from there, bought some Bitcoin ATMs. And I mean, I'm sure we can get into the rest of the story later, but um, yeah, that kind of original first experience, it was like, holy smokes, this is real. This is very, very cool. And um, yeah, ended up learning a ton about it and dedicating my life towards making Bitcoin easier to use. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about, I mean, as somebody who's newer to the space uh, at that time, there would have been so much unknown, like people really would not have known what it, where it was going or and we still don't. But um, so would you say that that was the moment for you where you started to realize uh, this is a legitimate thing. This is, has some substance. Um, was that a, you know, was there a light bulb moment that you recall where you started to understand? Um, not so much from the, like, now I look at it from a sovereignty angle and it's obviously very, very apparent, you know, what you need to be financially sovereign is Bitcoin. There's no way around that. Um, and, and that wasn't always apparent to me. The kind of light bulb for me was more on the business um, of selling Bitcoin. And it, and it was, I remember I was like making, getting a deal done, driving to Calgary in a blizzard. And um, I was able to, like, I, I made a ton of money on a deal. And I remember driving being like, I think I made $7,000. And and that was like more money than I'd ever seen in my life. That was like absolutely insane. And I went to, uh, I, I remember I was like driving like, holy smokes, like, this could be a real business. This is like, at that time I was still a bartender and I was still kind of working in the restaurant industry. And I was like, this is real. Like this, this is going to be absolutely game changing. This is a real business. And I remember I went to Best Buy and I bought at that time, my phone, I was always on my phone and my phone battery sucked. And I couldn't afford at that time, like a, a real charging case. And so I went to Best Buy, bought a charging case. I was like, like, I've made it now. This is, this is a hundred percent what needs to happen. Um, but I feel like I was a little bit at an advantage because the people that understood Bitcoin at that time, um, they also understood sound money and they also understood economics. And I had the benefit of um, probably, I guess, figuring that out much sooner than today. There's lots of noise. There's a ton of noise today because of the price, because, you know, what are we at? Like, whatever, 25, 30K um, USD, wherever the price is, especially whenever the price and when this airs, but like none of that noise existed. Uh, nobody's life financially had changed, at least in my scene from Bitcoin. Very, very few people had earned financial, like independent wealth from Bitcoin at that time. So there was no noise. It was all project focused. It was all protocol focused. It was all visionaries that were in the space, truly understanding what it meant and with the goal of freedom, not of wealth. And those two things kind of go hand in hand. But I think primarily speaking, it was a freedom focused mission at first. And then all the crypto bros come in and Wall Street gets on board and it becomes very noisy and all about like day trading and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, it was freedom first. And I think I had the advantage of being like, like injecting myself in that space, um, which I think helped shape my views and 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 my mission um with bitcoin well for sure so you've you've essentially come into adulthood being fully immersed in these concepts of 
use the term financial sovereignty. Like, what, what does that mean? You know, that for, for someone who's a total outsider to Bitcoin, what is financial sovereignty? Yeah, it's the concept that you your money is not at the helm of anyone but you. And really, one step further, you are in control of the wealth that you create and hold. Um, it's something that is foreign to the majority of the world. And it's something that it's, it's easy to conceptualize for us, but it's not like in, in North America, but it's not easy for us to picture us being a victim of the, op- of the financial oppression that um, like we see in like, you know, Venezuela, for example, or Afghanistan. Like, you know, when the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, banks were just done. Like that was it, right? Savings in the bank over, right? We own that now. Thank you very much. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, like war-torn country, Afghanistan. That's, yeah, that that makes sense. That sucks. If only there was another way, but thank goodness we're not exposed to that here in Canada, which is just like not the case. Like we are exposed to that here in Canada. It won't be uh, the Taliban taking it. It won't hopefully not as a product of war. Uh, but in Canada, the measures exist and have been used to confiscate wealth. Um, I mean, dating back, you can't really see it, but sitting over my my right shoulder here, is the uh, the governmental or the presidential act of 1933, where the government confiscated effectively all of the gold in the country. And that was 90 years ago now. Um, and then fast forward 45 years and the US dollar was no longer on the gold standard. And fast forward 50 years from that to where we are today, uh, and we have spiraling debt that's out of control and no end in sight. And you can kind of easily see how all of these things are related on the macro. And it's easy to see the financial oppression that exists here in North America because we don't control the money, because the money is owned and controlled by a small group of individuals. And so the the art or the key to being financially sovereign is just the effect that you aren't exposed to the decisions of politicians. You aren't exposed to the central bank or, or to anybody. Um, you simply own and control the money. And of course, we need money. We need it it would be great if we could just trade value for value. Um, uh, but that doesn't, that, that's not realistic. That's so unscalable. That's, this is the reason money was invented in the first place. And we have now a protocol with sound financial uh, means and, and sound, um, sound money principles that exists in Bitcoin. And obviously it's the only way to be financially sovereign is to um, everyone agree that sound money is this and everyone does agree on the principles of, of sound money. Um, but the only way to truly be sovereign is to be in full control of the money that you have. And in North America, like, is, 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 is 0.1% of the population even in control of their wealth? I don't think so. Maybe just uh, for the benefit of anyone who is listening, um, what does that mean for you when, you when you're talking about being in control of your money? Because uh, obviously... When you're 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 passionate about uh, self custody and people controlling their own Bitcoin, but for everyone who's never owned a Bitcoin, like your banks, your money's in your bank. So, is doesn't that mean you are in control of your money? It should, uh, but of course it doesn't. And that's and there's 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 multiple reasons for that. Um, like I personally have have had many different experiences with the banks just freezing funds, um, closing my accounts. Um, I don't have access to my money anymore, and it's petrifying. Um, the The fact that your money, like we all know that custody is nine tenths of the law. We know this from when we're a young age. Doesn't matter if you own the hockey card or you own the the Pokemon card or whatever. 
you don't have it and somebody else does, they can go trade it, right? Uh, from a young age, when we were trading collectibles on the on the playground, we understand that unless you have the card in your hand, it is completely useless to you. And the same is true of money here in 2023. We saw recently in Canada anyways, uh, we saw the trucker protests, we saw donations flying in for that, and we saw thousands of bank accounts getting frozen as a result of that. Um, like that in and of itself is uh, an act where the banks made the decision based on the government's early action uh, to not let you have control of your money. I mean, even without that incident, let's take that out of the equation. Banks are open 40 hours a week, uh, sometimes a little bit less. I know like some of the banks open from 10 to 4 um, Monday to Friday, and then like 11 to two on Saturday. Like, is that even 40 hours? Uh, what happens if you need the money? Uh, most banks don't carry cash anymore. They'll only give you bank drafts. And so what do you do if you need money immediately? What do you do? Bank drafts are, of course, are only valid in Canada. Our money is kind of locked in this ecosystem that doesn't exist outside of the borders of Canada. And so like you don't you realize how small your world becomes when your money is not borderless, when your money is at the helm of the bankers. Um, I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but like I would encourage people who think the opposite to go to the bank, ask to wire $50,000 to a Bitcoin exchange. Just see the questions that you get. See the questions that get answered. And often it's met with no. Even if the, you know, the money in your account is there, You've got all access to it. It's not like frozen or, or anything like that. Your bank account is fully valid with lots of money in it. The bank teller will restrict you from buying Bitcoin. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Um, and I think that that reality uh, is scary, especially as we start to talk about CBDCs and we see where the technology can start to go to limit our ability to spend our own money. Yeah, I was uh, just before this watching um, Peter McCormick's latest episode has a Nigel Farage and he's a British media personality um, on the show talking about how he's been financially censored. And it's amazing to me how many it's Western countries right now. Uh, it's in the news, but, you know, Australia, the UK, obviously we talked about Canada. Uh, JP Morgan has censored a lot of high profile individuals in the U S for kind of a, yeah, didn't, didn't Kanye get, yeah. Uh, wax was it JP Morgan or chase that did. Yeah. Him? Yeah. Uh, Kanye, uh, Dr. Uh, Mercola is another one. They, these people are just sort of, uh, you know, espousing ideas that are not uniform to, uh, to mainstream. And I, I mean, so I guess there's part of this would be, there's going to be people who automatically identify with you want, it's your money. You should be able to use it however you want. For people who who maybe don't see that as a uh, as such a pressing thing, like how, how would you how would you speak to that? Yeah, I actually didn't. <laughs> it's funny. This is how in, entrenched in like my desire for freedom and sovereignty is. I didn't actually consider that anybody thought um, not having control of your money was good. Like like I I was on a podcast with um, a guy called Max Max faucet um and he's kind of like a left-wing um person he put a tweet out it was like i want to learn more about bitcoin and i was like great and we're talking about that 
And he's like, wow, if we were all in control of our money, then we could just use it however we wanted. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, that, is that not what you want? He's like, well, what if I was bad? And I was like, well, then you should get arrested for doing bad things. You, we shouldn't limit everyone from using their money because a small subset of people are bad. Like, you know, we don't put uh, alcohol blowers in the cars because a small subset of people drink and drive. Like, like, we understand this concept that, you know, people use technology to do bad things, but we don't limit entire societies <laughs> because right. they do. Um, but it, it blew my mind that the the narrative that, you know, no, we do need oppression. We do need um, censorship in order to keep the world safe. And I, 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 if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm like, I still have a, I have a really hard time conceptualizing that. Um, I was talking with my, one of my buddies, uh, and I asked my, I was pulling my friends. I was like, what is, what is sovereignty mean? Like just kind of get, um, a bit of insight into normies or, or whatever. And one of them said, it's a made up word to make us feel oppressed. And I was like, what? Like, this is something that real people believe. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think for people that don't believe that, uh, ad admittedly, I'm probably not the best person to like ask, you know, why? Because I, I just, it, it's hard for me to fathom um, a world in which, in which we don't want to be free. Um, but people that think that's possible, um, my common argument and this this handles both sides of the spectrum is just imagine if you lived and you didn't agree with the current government like it's easy for people on the left and the right to not agree with the other side um but it's harder to see the the possible oppression when your side is in power but like something i say to my friends is like you know, okay, you agree with the government censoring for the for the freedom convoy, but what if they censored for you know, pick a left wing cause, pride, pick a like whatever, any generic like typically left wing kind of thing? What if they censored that? Would you be happy with that? And the answer is always no. So it's not so much the cause that's the problem, right? It like if you disagree with something, sure, you should be upset that that is happening, but the fact that um, the fact that we could wish governments to be able to come in and and swooping, let's like censor it is a huge problem because governments change every four years. And if your side doesn't get in and there's precedent to censoring things that are against the narrative, that's a huge problem, um, regardless of where you are on the spectrum. So I just when you when you like when you lower your time preference and break down the argument far enough. It's very, very difficult, I think, to see um, a logical response to wanting someone else in control of your money and ultimately of your of your decisions. I think that that's uh, that's a dangerous place to be in, and it always leads to oppression and death. Yeah, that's you made you made a lot of great points there. Um, again, sort of just because part of the goal of this pod is to keep it as uh, as entry level as we can while we're still sort of talking about these subjects. Um, how, how does a technology that enables people to sort of transact value directly with each other and, uh, store wealth outside of the traditional financial rails, like how does it address these kinds of, uh, potential oppressions? Yeah, this Bitcoin fixes everything. 
um, talk. What was it like a year or a year and a half ago? That was a big Twitter um, Twitter trend was just like, ah, Bitcoin fixes that. And actually, I, I do fall into that camp. I quite frequently will hear something about like, you know, something completely unrelated to finance even. And I'm like, oh, Bitcoin will fix that. Like, that's no problem. And it's just this concept that when you have control of your money, um, you've got, and, and when the money is fair, and th- I think this this comes, this is less about control of the money, although that is a piece of it. And it's more about the monetary policy that backs your efforts because money is a little bit useless. Bitcoin itself is useless if nobody is producing anything. Like Bitcoin on a UBI um, system, completely useless. Um, all stocks, all bonds, like everything in a UBI state is completely useless because there's no productivity backing the money. The point of money back to like, uh, I don't know, the ancient times is to have a medium of exchange so that you could, you could lock your value, right? If, if, I, if I'm a hairdresser, for example, I don't probably have much value for you. Like, you, you know, you don't have any hair. So why, <laughs> why would you, like, why would you give me any of, you know, if, if, if you were a cattle farmer and I was a hairdresser, I would have a very hard time getting any beef from you. Because right. maybe I could trim your beard a little bit, but like, like, so what happened is I have to cut someone else's hair, get something from him that you would like to trade your steaks for or your, or your milk or, or whatever. And that's the point of money. It actually has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with the value that I can create cutting hair, the value that you can create growing, feeding, nurturing, and then butchering cattle, the value that somebody else can create as an artist in whatever form or as a house builder or uh, as an as an energy producer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's that sound money policy that 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 the money in and of itself is kind of irrelevant, but it forces everyone to produce because unless you produce, you don't receive anything. It kind of like we all understand that competition is good, right? If you're the single lone business at the top of the hill, you're not really dri- you're not really driven. You're not driving forward. You're not reinvesting in yourself. There's no race. You're kind of getting like a bit lazy. And and the same is true of individuals. Uh, when the money is like just manipulated and and pure garbage without sound monetary policy, uh, we get lazy and we don't produce. When we don't produce, we're not living to our fullest potential. I mean, there is like there's literally like this goes back to like Bible times, like it talks about that in the Christian Bible, about how God wants us to produce. God wants us to take what we've got and distribute it and grow it uh, to add value and to add pleasure to the earth. And so I think it's, it's, it's human nature to want to produce and broken monetary systems take away that kind of productivity level. Um, which is uh, which is dangerous and 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 you know you can see how it just stems um, and and flows downhill from from there. So you, you just to touch on a, a few things you said there, um, sort of looking at control over your money as as sort of two different categories. If I could paraphrase you a bit, and one of them is sort of being able to spend your money how you want, and the other aspect of it is not having the money that you have earned already lose its value through reckless monetary policy, which every country in the world, particularly in the West right now, are really experiencing this sort of accelerated fallout from, uh, you know, expansion. Spending. Right. <laughs> right. Um, 
So for people in Canada, like, how do you say Bitcoin fixes this? Like, what, what is your, um, what is your explanation for people when you're trying to make sense of what you do and what you're offering? Uh, how is it the solution? Yeah, Bitcoin is a long-term solution. And in the West, we have the luxury of being able to think long-term, but we don't. We are inherently forced into a short-term cycle. Um, and it's kind of funny how everything is fixated around kind of a one-year calendar. It's like, what's my budget for the year? What am I hoping to achieve this year? What are my goals, my financial goals? What trips are we going to take? What are we going to buy? What are our big expenses? What are we going to fix? Like, it's all about kind of a one-year um, um, season. And I think Bitcoin automatically just flips that. It's a four-year cycle for Bitcoin, roughly 210,000 blocks, um, which I think automatically elongates your your time preference and your and your kind of view, your long-term view. Um, but frankly, in Canada right now, we have seen the money supply triple. At one point, it was as high as quintuple in the last three years. Uh, 8% inflation is low. We are, we are seeing way, way, way higher than 8% inflation. And you can tell by like the prices everywhere. Um, the, somehow the narrative is corporate greed, even though profits are like, profits are at record highs when you don't consider all the inflation. Right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, like you're making more money than you've ever made, yet somehow you have less purchasing power, not because of corporate greed, but because of inflation. Uh, number go up is irrelevant in an in, in an unlimited in an infinite money monetary sum game because you have no reference point there is no uh like if you own a billion dollars if you have a billion dollars that is a percentage of the entire wealth in the world and if that billion goes to 2 billion but the entire percentage doesn't change you have amassed more wealth if that billion goes to 2 billion but the entire monetary sum also doubles, you're the same. It feels like you've doubled your money, but it's just the same. You have the same purchasing power on a total macro layer. And the problem is in Canada, we have monetary supply tripling over the last three, three and a half years now, uh, and savings aren't being tripled. Wages aren't being tripled. Everything is going up in value, in price, sorry, not in value. Everything's going up in price but the value is staying the same. The value of your dollar is decreasing because it can buy you less. And so, you know, people that I say that to go, well, my value just lost 10% in Bitcoin last night. So how could that be? Yeah, Bitcoin's crazy volatile. We have this insane technology that's 15 years old that's literally designed to be a global macro tool. Um, and we're in early, early, early days. I think that, you think about the difference, like, you know, it's a little bit more than entry level, but part of the Bitcoin protocol is the uh, is the having and how many coins are introduced into circulation at any given time. And we've seen that go from 50 at one point to today where it's just over six over the course of of, of time. That's a massive decrease. And, and with all that, there's just turbulence. And then secondary to that, your dollar literally loses crazy amounts of purchasing power overnight when energy prices double, when gas and like like vehicle gas prices double, when your property tax goes up 10%. What is that coming from? Like, like 
that is all volatility. It's just stretched out. We can't really track the dollar against consumer price index very well because consumer price indexes are always lagging and the cost of a dollar is always lagging. We don't have that direct comparison like we do in Bitcoin. But if we did, and if we could see it in real time, it's my guess the dollar would be way more volatile than Bitcoin. Because when you track Bitcoin, when you track the purchase price of Bitcoin, I love tracking like, you see some tweets come up like iPhones in Bitcoin from price inception to in today. Yeah. And it's like iPhone 4, 3000 Bitcoin, iPhone 10 or iPhone X or whatever it was called, uh, like two Bitcoin. And then iPhone 14, like 0.2 Bitcoin. Like you can really see how on a macro scale, your purchasing power increases with Bitcoin. And sure, there's volatility, but like that's always been a knock on Bitcoin. And yet somehow on a long time frame, purchasing power increases with Bitcoin. It's it's like, it's not science, it's math at this point. And math is super predictable. Um, so it's it's quite it's quite easy to see. And I think anyone who doesn't agree or anyone who kind of disregards that doesn't have a long enough time view and and frankly is just trapped in the fiat rat race, which is unfortunately a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're recording this episode right now, we're in the middle of this sort of viral trend where people are sharing these videos on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter that are um I'm giving up. I can't afford to live in Canada anymore. And uh, you're seeing this, like, people all over the country, people, Canadians, people who are immigrants. This is really, honestly, tragic phenomenon. And um, we have this, it's such an abstract problem for people to conceptualize where we're, we observe the loss of the purchasing power of money in the things in our daily life getting more expensive without really understanding that what, what that's a reflection of is that is that the money that we're using itself is just going less and less far. Like every dollar yeah. becomes less and less valuable. And I think it's it's partly compounding in Canada, especially because of the, the mirage of Canadian real estate. So a lot of people have been able to successfully sort of bolster their income um, by selling their house every three or four years at a massive profit. And it's this, you know, fiat illusion of everyone's getting rich and this, you know, as long as the price of the things you own goes up faster than the price of <laughs> the things you need to buy, then, uh, you know, enough people are going to be fine with it. And it does feel like we're, we're approaching a little bit of an inflection point, which is part of the reason why I want to start this pod, because I think it's just really important for, you know, it's, it's time for more and more people to start, you know, kind of hearing these concepts in a, in a more, uh, in a more digestible way. Yeah, man. No, I think like real estate is actually a really fascinating thing to look at because real estate in and of itself is also very volatile. The problem with real estate is that it's not very liquid. So you can't see the booms and busts of real estate like you can in in Bitcoin. But it's it's shocking. And the cost to own real estate is out of hand and only going to get more and more expensive. I mean, speaking of Bitcoin fixes this, and if you let me ramble for a minute here, uh, there's this concept that like when the money sucks, we're shortening our time preference, meaning we have to we, we have a shorter look, which means we have to produce things faster because people want things faster because they're not thinking like, who cares when I'm 40? I'm 30 right now. I need something right now. So now we've got this shorter uh, time preference. Higher time preference is kind of the, the, the proper term there. So we've got things being made faster. Well, you know the saying, you can have things fast, cheap, or good, uh, pick two. 
and often it's fast and cheap. Not good. So things run out faster, which means all those crappy made things that are made fast get pumped into a home and they have to be maintained. So now instead of every 30 years for a new furnace, it's every 10. Instead of every 10 years for a new fridge, it's every two. Instead of every 20 years for a new septic tank, it's every 10, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So more, and then as time goes on, your money gets less and less valuable, making all that stuff more and more expensive. We're just kind of getting caught right now in this death spiral down where real estate is going to become a massive burden. And that's when the when the the rug gets pulled, the string gets pulled, whatever it might be, the straw that breaks the camel's back is going to be when people can no longer afford to maintain their homes simply because they're made so poorly and yet still cost so much to maintain. Boom. Like we are completely wrecked. Forget interest rates, forget property taxes. When just the cost to live in your house exceeds what it would have been otherwise, what it you know, it ex- exceeds the the uh um the cost to buy it to buy a new one that's when we're in trouble interesting yeah I, I love to sort of talk to people about real estate you know it's a pet topic of mine too and people will hammer on the volatility of bitcoin but if someone was checking the price of their house four times an hour <laughs> n- no nobody would be able to own a house like you know we we just don't do that so Dude, yeah so true so, uh, yeah, just to get back to this financial censorship topic for one more question, you're, you're a really interesting example because you are the CEO of a publicly traded company in Canada. And as far as I know, and we've talked about this, you, you don't have a criminal record. You've never done anything. You know, you've never been arrested or anything. And you, you have a hard time, a tremendously hard time interacting with traditional financial institutions and basic things like getting a bank account. Yeah, man, it's um, and I think like I am an edge case here. But it is super, super telling, I think, how the world can go where, like you said, I'm not a criminal. Uh, in fact, we pay an exuberant amount of taxes over our years as a company. I personally pay crazy amounts of taxes. At the same time, the banks don't want me um, as part of their ecosystem. And it's funny because every bank says the same thing. doesn't work with our bank, but you can go somewhere else. And it's like... Well, no, because that now that circle is complete. Like we only have five banks here in Canada. Right. Uh, there's, there's not many more that I can go to once all five have said no. Um, and and I think that just goes to show that's just the banks. So that's just that's one side. Um, and uh, people have talked to me about this in the past. Have been like, you must be so upset. And actually, no. You know what? The banks should have the ability to do business with whomever they please. I believe that in a free market, in a free country. You can choose who you can and cannot. The bigger problem here is that our government has eliminated the ability to use cash to do things. You can't buy a house with cash. I've tried. You can't buy a car with cash. I've tried. You can't pay your taxes in cash. I've tried. And so I can both be excluded from the banking system while also not have the ability to use legal tender in the country. And that's a huge problem. That full circle macro is a is a huge problem in my mind where we don't uh, really see the full consequences of it until we're thrust straight into it. We don't really know what it means because we can't, like, what do you mean you can't use cash? Of course you can, but why would you have that much cash to a bank, right? Until the banks say no, or even worse, your money's in a bank and then the bank says no, and you can't buy that house because of X, Y, and Z. Then all of a sudden you've pissed someone off in, in, a, in an office in Toronto and then your money's frozen. And that's where the problems come in when 
you are exposed to the to the decisions of some private companies, some private individuals on the banks, and the government is no support in their legal tender, which I think is is problematic. And you hear, well, cash is only used for drugs and cash is bad because of X, Y, and Z. Sure, right? All those things are cu- are true. Cars kill people every single day. Every single day, someone is ran over by a car. At least one person in Canada is hit by a car, right? But we still all drive cars to work. And, and, and we, we, we found ways to make technologies uh, or to overlook the, the, the tragedy that some technologies bring because they're a net benefit to society. Money's not been the case. And unfortunately, uh, the censorship is always the answer. It's always the solution. I'm putting solution maybe in air quotes to uh, the problems that money can bring about. But that shouldn't be the answer because you, you end up just, you know, things never get less censored, right? Like right. It, only, it only ever gets more and more and more and more uh, as we discover more and more and more edge cases. And I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, was, I don't know if I agree with you on that statement of uh, banks should be able to choose whoever they do business with. It, this is a point actually uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. brought up a few weeks ago talking about, I mean, sure, uh, they, are, they are private businesses, um, but if you need to have access to that service to be a functioning member of society and you've, you've not broken any laws... Um, See, but that's it, but that's the problem is that you need to have access to that service, right? Right? Like, like, why isn't there a world in where you don't need access? Cash works just fine, and and there should be no need to use a bank. In fact, a bank should be seen as a luxury item, not a required item. Again, in my mind, and I and I I like I I I know what you mean, where like banks are required, so they shouldn't be luxuries. But like, no, banks just just shouldn't be required. <laughs> it's kind of my and in a Bitcoin standard, they're really not. Peer-to-peer technology um, enables the ability to use money without um, uh, without using a bank in the middle. Yeah, and it really is. Uh, Bitcoin will evolve into being able to do things that it can't do today. But you really are able today to store your wealth personally. I mean, it takes it takes some learning and uh, a little bit of a gut check here and there, but it can be done. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, you know, I've seen you talk a lot, a lot about cash and I know you use a lot of cash where you can, um, Christine Lagarde, who's the head of the ECB, uh, was viral a few weeks ago talking about how they, with their CBDC program in Europe will have the potential to restrict transactions up to, um, 400 euros. So basically that will be the maximum amount, uh, that somebody will be able to, have a, an uncensored or a sort of quasi anonymous transaction. Um, do you think, do you think people in Canada, just generally speaking, have any sense for how serious and fast approaching the possibility of a, a broad financial censorship is? No. And, and the scary thing about that too, is that that number only goes down. Like $400 is one thing. The, the AML, like the anti-money laundering, um, number in Canada has been $10,000 since like the seventies. Like, do you know mm-hmm. how far $10,000 went? Like that was like, you could buy a car relatively anonymously. You could maybe even actually almost buy a house <laughs> relatively yeah. anonymously in the seventies. Um, I'm being a little bit facetious there to make a point, but like today, $10,000, like that, that's less than a set of tires on a luxury vehicle. Like, like, Talk about the comparison from what it bought you a car to it buys you tires. 
uh, pretty insane to think about the difference. And that four hundred dollars, like that's not that's not a grocery bill anymore. I I know my family of six, like we spend more than that on groceries every single week, and it's not hard to see how that turns into every single transaction is censored. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm doing nothing wrong. So what's the problem? Well, you might be doing nothing wrong under the current regime, but those regimes constantly change. Mm -hmm. And what happens when eating beef is wrong? What happens when leaving your lights on for more than three hours a day is wrong? What happens when you can no longer buy cotton because it's, it's or you can't, you can't buy certain materials um, for your clothing because that's wrong. When you can't drive more than 100 kilometers a month because uh, your 15-minute city should be good enough. We don't want you to pollute the earth. Like what happens when not getting a medicine is wrong? All of these things become so impactful when you realize, well, that's wrong. Well, define wrong. Tell me that won't change. I laugh at the fact like two years ago, I wasn't able to walk in to watch my son play hockey. <laughs> Because yeah. I was a danger to society as an unvaccinated individual. Like, it blows my mind how quickly wrong can change. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as a control apparatus, uh, money sort of represents the ultimate, uh, the ultimate noose, right? Without, yeah. uh, without, so this gets back to your sort of original point about financial sovereignty. And um, yeah. Well, I mean, even further, like, what does that push people to do, right? I mean, it's interesting to kind of conceptualize. Obviously, we have Bitcoin and, and this kind of solves it. But if you're truly like anti-Bitcoin and you don't really want to use it, you know, all of a sudden we turn into this, we make our own little societal currencies. And it's like, well, we can't use money, but I grow eggs and you cut grass. So why don't we just trade? You cut my grass once a week and I'll give you, you know, whatever, three dozen eggs um, a week or, or a month or whatever. And now you've got excess eggs. So you can go to the next store. Like This is like back to the, you know, the early, the early days, this is back to even before the Romans, like, like this is, this is where currencies start to live because the existing way of doing things doesn't work. Do stores, like, does this end up crippling stores because money is so useless because it's so censored that stores no longer work and it's just back, like, people will always desire to be free and people that can actually produce will always have a better way to be free. And so you better believe that when money becomes useless, the capitalists and the and the productive unit of society are going to have better ways to transact. Bitcoin's the obvious answer. Um, and so we're lucky we don't have to think about the money piece, but it's uh, it's an interesting thought exercise anyways. For sure. And uh, it's a great segue uh, to talk a little bit about Bitcoin. Well, you guys are a Bitcoin services company. And I know you have you have a lot of ideas about uh, how you're going to help uh, Canadians with this transition and other countries too. Um, maybe just t talk to me a little bit about your vision of of uh, how this continues to become a more and more of a daily part. And th this is something I run into a lot. And in talking to people about Bitcoin is like, you know, well, I can't pay for my my Starbucks with Bitcoin right now, so obviously it's a scam. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't. But you can't buy eggs with your Starbucks gift card, and yet somehow you have that. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, man. I mean, like the mission of the company is to enable independence. Two words, very simple, freedom focused. Um, we want to enable independence through the convenient control of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is obviously a huge niche, um, and that's the starting place for independence. Money is kind of the root 
of, of the productivity of our lives. And without sound money, without the control of sound money, it's very difficult to live. So what we do is we make it easy to buy, sell, and use Bitcoin. Um, you actually can use Bitcoin at Starbucks if you so choose. You go to BitcoinWall.com, buy a Starbucks gift card with Bitcoin, and then have that on a Starbucks app. Or use your credit card at Starbucks and then get the credit card points and then pay your credit card off with Bitcoin at the end of the month at BitcoinWall.com. So we are making it way, like there's two ways to increase Bitcoin adoption and that's going the B2B route, which is like what the banks have done. Uh, let's force everyone to accept credit cards and then everyone will have a credit card. Um, and that's been 15 years in the making. I don't have the patience to wait for 15 years to be able to use my Bitcoin at Starbucks, um, at Walmart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's go the retail route. Let's give you the power to spend your Bitcoin over these legacy traditional finance rails. You all have a credit card in your hand. Always. Everyone has a credit card. It, it maybe not everyone, but the majority of people do have a credit card. Let's just get them spending that normally, give them the ability to pay that credit card with Bitcoin at the end of the month. The next phase to that is obviously having a card of some kind that uses the existing payment rails, those Visa and MasterCard rails, uh, but is tied to a hot wallet. How good would that be if you could own and control full self-custody of your money tied to a piece of plastic that just tap, 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 tap around the, right around the city or around the country? Um, so technology like that is difficult to make, obviously, but our vision here is truly about independence. It's truly about giving people the ability to own and control their money. So we call it like the benefits of Bitcoin with the convenience of modern banking. Modern banking is so damn easy to use. It's like it's very mm -hmm. slick. There's tons of money put into UX and design and uh, it's very, very impressive. Um, it's all done though on a baseless sand system like their house is made on sand and we all know we listen to the three pigs we know what happens when houses are made on sand and they're made of straw we want to build like bitcoin's a brick house we, we want you to have the ability to use that brick house um but still have the same luxuries and conveniences of modern banking and that's why that's why we're around love to ask you this is a little bit of a obviously you guys are in an unusual sense in that as a bitcoin company you're going to attract a certain kind of individual who wants to work for you guys but uh maybe just talk to me a little bit about how you incorporate bitcoin into your corporate culture and how how that looks and feels and maybe some things that you guys do yeah generally speaking we it's 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 such a mindset bitcoin is it's so much bigger than just a financial instrument um we do generally attract most people that um i think are encouraged by the aspect of freedom that understand why Bitcoin exists um, and that go through. We scaled up pretty fast over the couple last couple of years. And some feedback that I got from people that have since left um, was that we're like pretty libertarian um, group here. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, we're like, we're about freedom. We, we like, yeah. And they're like, well, like it's, it's it was difficult for them to kind of see that like difficult for them to see themselves in the company culture just because we're so freedom and independence focused. Um, other things like we have a Bitcoin savings plan, which I absolutely love. So again, as part of scaling up, we uh, we could have opted to go like the RSP matching or whatever, but we went Bitcoin matching. There's no tax benefits to it, obviously. Um, but uh, I've got some thoughts about the, the tax benefits of RSPs, maybe not being that great anyways, but... The kind of thought process was, if you want to buy Bitcoin, uh, we, we want to match how much Bitcoin you're buying um, on a monthly basis and really encouraging people to uh, be 
buying Bitcoin rather than buying like controlled RSPs or um, TFSAs or or contributing to government restricted funds in some way. And I think that um, that alongside with just the way that like the types of events that we that we do and run here, um, I think corporate culture is in many times a mindset and um it starts obviously with with the ceo but it kind of flows through the organization down to i think who you hire is most important and hiring someone when you ask them why is bitcoin cool um number go up doesn't really you know strike the needle um it's because i'm in control it's because it's fully encrypted it's because i think it's empowering that i can own and control my wealth it's empowering that i can send money to my cousin in australia um in a matter of seconds for no cost it's empowering that uh it's protocol focused and if i care enough i can develop a proposal to change the protocol it's empowering in that i can have a bitcoin miner running i can run my own node like all this stuff is empowering and it empowers the individual first um it's not because I made 10% last month. And, uh, and I think that's the main difference behind like why we're, why we're here, why we exist. It's, again, less about number go up, less about like turn your 30K into 40K and a lot more about turn your garbage, useless money into sound money. Those are some uh, <clears throat> triggering statements for a lot of people who, who you know, there is a, there's a, a lot of... Uh pondering that comes along with the realization of that some of these problems are sort of systemic and structural to the way that our money fundamentally works. What would you say, um, you know, if I could put you on the spot and say, what, what is one thing that you think everybody who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin needs to know? One thing everybody who doesn't know something about Bitcoin needs to know. I would say the concept of sound money the concept of what's important for you and your money your money is not just ones and zeros in your bank account it's uh the relative kind of collection of your efforts and then the costs to get there and i think that if people understood how important sound money is the concept of like the base base like money has to be transferable and divisible and scarce and um different aspects of what sound money is i think that would probably move the needle a lot more it's very very there's very few people that i've conversed with that understood the need and the desire for sound money that didn't get bitcoin i mean peter schiff's an outlier i think that he does it just for the views um but i was Lucky enough to have uh, dinner with Pierre Polyev a few years ago, kind of before his big Bitcoin um, tour. And he is someone that understands sound money and sound monetary policy. And explaining Bitcoin to him, it was just like, you could just see the eye opening. Like, oh yeah, check, 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 check. Like Bitcoin handles all of this so well. And it was interesting it's so much easier to like orange pill or to tell someone about Bitcoin uh, when they understand the value prop of Bitcoin. But if you're, you're kind of screaming into an empty room, like if they don't understand why sound money, they don't understand why that's important, then it's difficult to, you know, 
pitch Bitcoin. It's like it's like my conversation earlier. We talked about like, wow, you can't possibly think that we all want full control of our money. That would be dangerous. It's like why? Like holy smokes! Like you got a lot to learn before you're gonna truly appreciate Bitcoin. Um, and I think that I yeah, I would say sound money. It is it is a really interesting topic, and I think. You know, the idea of money being so valuable in and of itself that you might want to have it instead of having a consumable good is so foreign to us. And that that's a symptom of how how deep the conditioning is in terms of we we, basically it, it does literally burn a hole in your pocket. You spend your money sort of not realizing that, you know, a lot of our consumer driven behaviors have a lot to do with the fact that we know on some level our our money is continuously buying us less and less. And if all of a sudden confronted with the possibility of just being able to have a money that was even just holding its value or possibly becoming more valuable, I mean, th- this is kind of what, this is part of what sound money is, right? It's a, it's a having the freedom to not have to spend your money furiously knowing that that house of sand is uh, falling apart disintegrating yeah i mean it, yeah. the luxury our ancestors had with the gold standard like when you had a brick of gold you weren't in a rush to spend it you also moreover you when you did spend it it had to be on quality like you there was no plastic toys and a happy meal from mcdonald's because that's not what i want i want something nutritious that will fill me up that will give me energy to continue my day and to produce um there was no like quick, fast, let's get the cheapest, most garbage thing because we're on the run to the next thing in order to uh, uh, get by. And it, and it does completely change that, that mindset. So you're pretty far along in your education. Um, I'm curious, uh, is, there, is there a Bitcoin resource, a book or a podcast, or even just a personality in the space that you enjoy or refer to other people? Like for, for those who are just starting to get get in and and are looking for some great resources um what are some of your go-tos or things that you like to tell other people about yeah the bitcoin standard is is definitely um, an obvious one that's a tough one though to be honest i i don't like when people recommend that as the first read because it's a tough read and it's technical and it's difficult to um uh to i think to get through if you're not passionate about about bitcoin um, I'm listening to Atlas Shrugged right now for like another time as like as a hardened Bitcoiner, um, that book hits home and I wonder if it would for other people got nothing to do with Bitcoin, obviously uh, it was written like 70 years ago or something like that. Um, but it does, it is easy to see how Bitcoin solves that the sovereign individual is kind of like a follow-up to Atlas Shrugged. Um, and so I think both of those books, Bitcoin, again, it's, like there are some technical skills that are required in Bitcoin. Just like there's a technical skill to using email. You have to set it up. You have to understand what you're doing. Um, but the benefits of having that skill are well worth the investment. Um, the difference is Bitcoin is financially driven. And I think people need to be philosophically aligned with why they're interested in Bitcoin before they just jump in and start doing Bitcoin things. And so I would say, um, as far as like as far as I'm concerned, I think understanding why 
They want to get into Bitcoin. If you're looking to jump into Bitcoin and exit after 100% return, just don't. There are better things to get 100% return on in the world. Um, when you're ready to buy Bitcoin and you're ready not to sell it at a million dollars, at a billion dollars, Bitcoin will be a billion dollars one day without question. Not necessarily because it'll buy you a billion dollars worth of things today, but because the US dollar, the Canadian dollar, Western dollars are going to be inflated to the point where a billion dollars is just what things cost. And I think that you need to have, like, you don't sell sound money because number went up. You sell sound money as savings when you need it. When you want to go on a trip, when you want to buy something that you're going to enjoy, that you're going to use, when you want to invest in in something for yourself and your productivity, et cetera. So I, I think it's philosophically, and I think like, you need to research sound money and you need to research why this concept of financial sovereignty is so important. And I think like Ben from BTC Sessions does a pretty good job of mixing both up. Um, he's very, very focused on on understanding that Bitcoin should be held and controlled by yourself. Um, I, like I talk about that all the time. That's, that's one of my go-tos is it's why Bitcoin's so important to me. But I would really encourage people to understand why they're excited about Bitcoin before they understand how to do Bitcoin things. That's awesome, man. I, uh, yeah, um, that's a great answer. I appreciate your, uh, passion for the space, dude. And, uh, Bitcoin well is a great company doing a lot of different things, uh, cool products and services, ways to interact with Bitcoin and it's bitcoinwell.com. If you want to go down there and have a look, um, episode number one down. Dude, well done. This is great. Thanks again, Adam. Appreciate you. I would love to have you back again sometime and uh, talk Bitcoin anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Block Reward. We're trying to do something different here, creating accessible conversations meant for people who aren't obsessed with Bitcoin. If you found this episode informative and engaging, hit that subscribe button to make sure you stay updated with future episodes. Your feedback matters. We'd greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to share your reviews and help us with our goal of creating Bitcoin content that is simple and easy to understand. Bitcoin has an important role to play in the future of finance. It will change the way we save, spend, and invest. Discover why Bitcoin offers a game-changing opportunity for forward-thinking employers by visiting blockrewards.ca. BlockRewards' mission is helping Canadian employers implement strategies for integrating Bitcoin into compensation and benefits. Supercharge your recruitment and retention strategies and help your team members plan for the rising cost of living by rewarding their work with the hardest money ever invented. Special thanks to our top sponsor, Paramount Employee Benefits Consulting, Canada's only Bitcoin-forward benefits and pension advisory. For more information, find them at paramountbenefits.ca. Big shout out to Podigy, our production team that makes all this possible, and BMX Escape for producing our music. Bitcoin is an expansive and dense topic many people walk away from early. To Bitcoin enthusiasts looking for that podcast they can share with friends, family, and colleagues, one they'll actually listen to, we hope that is us. The content of these conversations is meant to be provided for information purposes only. Nothing here is investment advice. Bitcoin is a big topic. Be sure to do your own research before making any personal financial decisions. Thanks for listening. 